Knockback, the retro and nostalgia podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined, as always, by my brother, Dagan, Fat Lee Adama Moriarty. Dagan, thank you for joining me today. How was your life? <laughs> I forgot about Fat Lee. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I forgot all about it. It seemed like so long ago now. Yeah, I know. Oh, it's, it, do you hear yeah. that fracking music? What is that? that? Music? Where is that music coming from? Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. Well, welcome, Dig. We're, we're t- today, we're obviously going to talk about the third season of Battlestar Galactica. We'll get into that in a little while, but in a, you know, not in a little while, but momentarily. But Momentarily. I was curious, how is everything going? You started a new job. New and, jobby uh, job. I'm curious how everything's going in your life. Yeah, right? we're like two and a quarter ways in, two days and a quarter in. Uh, it's going good so far. I had a I had an anecdote to tell you about the new job, actually. You'll really appreciate this. I want to see your reaction to this, actually, because my reaction yesterday was like, wait, what? So start a new job. We're in a Zoom meeting yesterday. You know, animation is a lot of Zoom meetings, it feels like, since the age of Zoom, especially since the, uh, the onset of COVID, right? It's like, right. I mean, I guess that's a lot of jobs, a lot of office type jobs. So we're having a Zoom meeting, me, the lead, uh, the lead artist, like the art director and another of my contemporary contemporaries and animator. He's based up in Toronto, actually. And we're just talking about the conversations meandering into our families and kids and everything. And I said, yeah. When I get mad at my kids, I point to the mantle and I said, if it wasn't for you guys, that would be full lined with Emmy Awards. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a terrible thing to say, but they yeah. know that I'm joking. They also roll their eyes. It's also not true. It would definitely not be lined with Emmy you Awards. Did, but it's a nice fair, you, you did win an Emmy. You, you and your team won an one Emmy. So yeah, so I won a team Emmy. Ah, uh, uh, Emmy. Uh, so you and Emmy. Uh, and Emmy. <laughs> yeah, that was a team thing at Sesame. But they, they win Emmys every year, so I just happened to be part of the team that year. I got nominated for three individual Outstanding Achievement in Animation Emmy Awards, but I lost every time. And then I used to be involved in the voting, so I couldn't... That was in like the mid-aughts in New York, so I couldn't really even participate at that in that window of time. But we were just laughing about that. And then the conversation kind of meandered over into like career trajectory and ascension and all that kind of stuff. And my lead who I've known for a long time, but I, I've, I haven't worked with him at Nickelodeon yet, obviously. He's like, our project that we're working on, which I can't talk about, is um, being actually looked at by the head of Paramount. Now, pa- for those of you guys that don't know, Paramount is a gigantic media organization, one of the biggest in the world. And then underneath that is Viacom. And then underneath Viacom are all the things that we would know, right? MTV, VH1, Comedy Central, Nickelodeon. CBS is in there, right? CBS, yeah. of course. Um, BET is in there. Spike, if that's still That's your favorite thing. channel, right? You love BET. BET. I, I just saw something that's going on with BET. Like they're having a whole new rollout or something. Oh, interesting. I, I used to watch to? BET quite a bit because they had like great music oh, shows. They had, but I was, but yeah, I was always like, like... In the 90s and the aughts. But I always felt content. like, I'm like, should I be watching this? Because I felt like, you know... <laughs> is this for me? Yeah, I don't it's know. for it's for you. It's, it's like reading, you. Uh, you know, it's like what's that? What's the black magazine? Um, oh, Ebony. Ebony, right? Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. I've been in bar- barber shops before, and I'm like, can I read it? Yeah, <laughs> <It's just, laughs> my last to read this. <laughs> <laughs> Looking, look, enjoying it, but also looking over your shoulder. Yeah. So, 
the head of Paramount of all things mm. is mm. looking at our project. Apparently, like he's you know they're. Get, I don't know how much the. It was the same thing when I was at Disney with Bob Iger. It's like how much is Bob Iger really looking at this? The guy has like a million things to do, but apparently it's on his desk at some point. He probably he probably looks at it and then you know folds it up into a paper airplane and tosses it across the room, whatever. But my friend was like, "Do you know who Brian Robbins is?" Now Brian Robbins is the head of Paramount, and I said, "No, I don't know who he is." He says he played one of the uncles in Full House. Now I'm like, "Wait a second. Now I'm thinking Uncle Jesse and Uncle Joey, right?" Right. And right. I'm like, "No, that's not Brian Robbins." So he got confused. Apparently, this guy is a, an actor dating all the way back to like the 70s, character actor, mostly on television. He must have played Uncle Jesse's brother in a few episodes or something. But you would know him, Kyle. Go look up Brian Robbins and see what he looks like. All right, let me see. And you're going to be like, this is the head of Paramount. You're going to know immediately seeing his Oh, yeah, face. I know this guy. Yeah. Head of the I class. Yes. He was in head of the class. Yes. He's one of the kids in head of the class. Exactly. I said, Alexi, that's not Uncle Jesse. That's that's the guy from head of the class. Yeah, you're right. He's the head of all of Paramount. I was shocked. I was like, holy shit, that's the head of all Paramount. When I was like 10 years old, I was watching him on head of the class. I loved that show, by the way. That was a great show. Dude, I always longed for to be in a class like that. What was the I can't remember the teacher's name, but like to. It was just such a cool, you know who he reminded me of? Mr. Do you remember Mr. Scott? Yes. Yes. Uh, I think about him a lot. Yeah. He, Mr. Scott was a government teacher at Bellport where we went to high school and he was a really nice guy, <laughs> but he was totally, I would imagine he was probably like a pothead and whatever, but he used to just like literally just, he was like this very folksy new age kind of guy and he would just play his guitar like in the middle of class and just, he was just out of his mind. He was and, really uh, crazy. Yeah. And, and he was great. He was a really I great man. Him. He would he would be in mid sentence sometimes and just stop whatever he was saying. He would look at everybody and go sit in the corner and start playing his acoustic guitar. <laughs> I just looking at everybody. Like I think it was his dry sense of humor. Yeah, you know, back then you're kind of just more confused. You know, you're like in tenth grade. And you're like, what the hell is this guy doing? Yeah, he was great. So he, that's who that's who that teacher reminds me. Head really of the class does. is awesome. It's a great. Job. And I think I was trying to put a name to a face of we were talking about Ghostbusters last week. That sequence where Bill Murray's kind of interviewing the two young ESP candidates and is like the cute blonde. I think she was one of the classmates in that show too. And then the nerdy guy who does like a million cartoon voices was the other key player for like the student trio with Brian Robbins. Mm. And I was just like, whoa, that can you imagine? Like, even think back to, I think his name is Brian Levine. I think he must have changed it to Brian Robbins at some point. Can you like that's some kind of crazy ascension? It's like this guy who did like bit parts in sitcoms. Now he's the head of like one of the biggest media conglomerates on the planet. Yeah, it's really, I'm reading his. I'm, I'm reading his. Uh, he's got like a who's who here because it's he was in dude. He was in everything. He was in everything. First of all, he was in Archie Bunker's place, which is hysterical. But he's also he's, in. Yeah, he was in that, but he's also in Facts of Life, Taxi, Three's Company, Knight Rider, Different Strokes, New Heart, Charles in Charge, Growing Pains, Mr. Belvedere. And then he does things a little later, Kids Incorporated. And then, like you said, Full House, he is in two episodes. Okay, only two episodes. It's so crazy that my friend knew him from that. But you know what it reminds me of, Dig? And we've talked about this in the past. I want to look up her name, but this is just like... Oh, this is the old. No, I don't want to. I don't want the. I'm looking for 90210. Here we go. Yeah, this is just like Gabrielle Carteris. 
Who from 90210. She was like Andrea Zuckerman. She's, you know, 30 year old. Oh, of course. High school yeah, team, of course. You know, yeah. 10th grade or whatever. She's the head of SAG after. That's yeah. right. You were telling me about that. Is that weird? So there's a whole sort of weird things that people just ran. It's random, cool, actually. Kind of yeah, it is. I think something with what's her name from Wonder Years? Danica. Oh, Dan- yeah, yeah, Danica. She's like a mathematician or something. Right? Oh, OK. Uh, I thought she was involved in Hollywood in some capacity. Danica like McKellar. She might be, but I thought, didn't she like. No, you might be right. Yeah, so she's an American actress, mathematics writer, and education advocate. She's super, super, super smart. Yeah, she went to UCLA. Yeah, I thought I remember. Yeah, she's, I guess she kind of left and then came back. I don't know what's going on with her, but yeah, she's uh, Winnie Cooper. It's interesting. Yeah, Winnie I was Cooper. shocked. I was like, I can't wait to tell Colin about this. Who who knew? That's awesome. I love I know, you should, if you ever meet him, you should be like, dude, I was a big fan. Well, that's of the thing. It. You're kind of starstruck on two fronts then. You know what I mean? It's like, this is the, bo- this is my big, big boss. Who's never going to know my name. 40,000 employees or something under Paramount's umbrella. They have a whole skyscraper in New York. And then, you know, but for me, it's more like the eighties probably also, I haven't looked in the, his uh, filmography to this capacity, but I'm sure he had to do cartoon voices in the eighties too. I, you would imagine. Yeah. Like I, I would did, assume right? so. So but- it's like, wow. And kids incorporated. I think he was in kids incorporated and yeah, stuff. I was, was like, whoa, was. like. That's my. It's interesting. It's interesting because I, um, if you ever got a chance to meet him, right? Mm -hmm. Like he he was in the office, and you had like a moment to just say anything to him, right? Yeah. I would. I would judge in my head. I'm like, is this the moment to be like, um, like I wonder if you were like, I was. I really liked you on head of the class. I wonder if you'd be like, that blow it off, cool, or if he would be like, you know, like what do you. What dude, are you talking to me about head of the class for? <laughs> but I feel like he would probably be pretty would be like, dude, I literally cool. loved you on head of the class for like over 100 episodes. I just wanted to let you know. Yeah. Like, how could how could he be mad about that? Yeah, it can't I've be. met actors in the past where I've said things like that. You know? Oh, yeah. Like, like where I'm like, I'm, I really like you in this. I really like you. in this. And that's all I say. And then I just because yeah. at IGM, people used to come in and out. So you don't want to bother yeah, them. You try to a lot help of people back then. Try to treat, yeah. you know, treat them, you know, leave them alone. But yeah, treat them like humans, but let them know you're uh, you're psyched for their work. Why not? What now? What about you, my friend? What's going on in your life this week? Nothing really. No. Yeah, just hanging out and uh, getting through some things. Gonna have to start up Metal Gear soon here because we're doing that soon. Metal Gear Solid Three. But yeah, otherwise just just working and uh, you know just listening to music. I was listening to Nirvana today. Okay. I, I, it's funny. Nirvana is one of those bands where I can go like a couple of years and be like, I really don't want to hear anything from this band. I'm just so. <laughs> tired of hearing nirvana songs and that not not i mean they're an amazing band obviously oh. I, I actually vividly remember you having the cassette tape of nevermind yeah got it for christmas and yeah. i remember being like you know like it's a naked baby and it was like fun i remember being on your bed like like, like wow this is a but then i was watching monday night football i think it was it might have been sunday night football and they always have like a good cacophony of intro and exit songs mm. and i'm always like oh shit it's and they had like just a i think they were playing seattle so they had just a run of great grunge and post grunge stuff or whatever and one of the songs that they played was in bloom you know but just like the the um like the guitar part of it and i was sure like, oh, yeah man, i fucking love that song so I, I added it to my my um playlist and then i put it on today when i was re- uh running on my elliptical and i i don't know if i've said this but i sing really loud when i listen to my music and i and i work out like i just i'm like screaming and my neighbors probably like are like what is going because on you can't hear yourself or because you're no because i just excited. love it like i just yeah i just like i'm like, you know, i'm working out i have a lot of energy i'm just like and it gets my voice going for the the show and stuff so <laughs> like just a half an hour ago I was, I was like screaming in bloom on the elliptical He's the one who all of British <laughs> it's an iconic song iconic oh yeah, i know dude that i mean that that song fucking rocks you know 
don't know what it means. (laughs) It was such a breath. It's like for you younger cats out there, you don't even know, like early 90s, that style of music, particularly Nirvana, but I could think of a lot of others. Such a breath of fresh air. I mean, it was like some, it was like, I guess it was kind of the birth of alternative music as we know it now too, but coming out of rock and rap and the other genre, um, you know, of course, disco and all of the instrumental electro pop stuff of the eighties. Like it was, so, you, it was probably the biggest paradigm shift I could ever remember in music. It was like, wow, music is really, or, you know, the classic rock that we grew up with listening to our parents stuff, whether it was Santana or Fleetwood Mac, like it was a, it was changing, it was stopping on a dime and just taking a curve, you know? And it's like, mm-hmm. whoa, like I can't even, that time, say what you want about the nineties, but as we were going from the 80s into the 90s, it was so crazy to think about like how things were changing. And it probably that probably dovetails with my age too, because I was <laughs> I was discovering my body. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate that term. <laughs> what does it mean? Oh, let's change the subject. I'm getting red. Look. Oh, oh clutch the pearls. We oh, can have some more. <laughs> yeah, let's Nature go back to that. <laughs> is a whore. <laughs> Apologies to Nirvana for taking that conversation into uns- unseemly territory. <laughs> Tender age and blue. <laughs> you know what's also crazy about that album? Not to linger on this for too long, but oh, we should just do this. Smells album like Teen day, but- Spirit was the iconic song that everybody wanted the album for right we love the music video love the song there was a two or three day period where it's like all the other tracks on that album were a bother you just wanted to get the teen spirit right. then once those songs kind of took took shape in our heads we were like the whole album was a masterpiece i mean obviously oh it's a masterpiece definitely but yeah it was even obvious to us grungy little 16 year olds circa 1991 or whatever it was 1990 or 91 91 91 so, yeah, my friend. Very, very cool. Well, let's get into the show, Dave. Let's Battlestar Galactica season three. What? Now, it's funny. This was I was worried about this because <laughs> this is the, the weakest season of Battlestar. I think okay. I okay. think a lot of people think that, too. But and there are reasons for that. And we can talk about that. Of I think you can see what they're trying to do. And I think it failed. And so I think you see a huge reaction to that in season four when they're very hyper focused on the actual story. But you had messaged me early on, like maybe a quarter through, and you're like, I don't know, man. Like, and I, I actually tried to give you an exit. I'm like, dude, I don't you want. You I was did. like, if you really don't want to do this, like, I don't think anyone's gonna care that much. We don't finish, but you did. You said you, you wanted very to continue- gracious about that. Yeah, I was like, I'm not gonna. For- well, you're like, you have like 14 episodes left. If you, if you think it's that bad, then I really don't think you should do it. But you, <laughs> you stuck with it, and I'm glad you did because th- this season to me. And I, I wrote extensive notes as I was watching it is just so up or down. And mm-hmm. I was remarking to Micah that I remember at the time thinking, and I think it's pretty, a lot of people feel this way, like, man, you could have cut eight episodes out of this season and it would have nothing, no bearing whatsoever on yep. what ac- people actually care about. Now, I like filling in different stories. I like right. meeting people, right? Like we're going to do razor soon which is we're going to learn all about admiral kane and we're going to go back to the pegasus it's that's a fucking great movie right and we'll do that in december 
And uh, they actually, if you watch it on Peacock, as I told Dagan, they actually have it as listed as a 21th, 21st episode, 21th, 21st episode of season three. And I was like, don't watch it. It's not a real I'm episode. Really, I don't know really why glad they you warned me. I might have not caught yeah. that. I don't know why they did that. You would have been so confused because you're like, why are we back like before <laughs> the attack? The hell is going on here? You know, so yeah, that would have been confusing. So I don't know why they did that, but it is in sequential order. That's when it came out. So I think that's when they wanted okay. to. Yeah. Okay. So, so I think that's sense. why it's there. Yeah. It okay. makes sense in terms of sequence, but it's just like, it's a, it was its own standalone release. Like sure. it was a big deal when it came out. So yeah, yeah. It had nothing to do with the third season, but um, I'm curious what you think of this season. Cause it is a lot of wasted time. It's a lot of one-off stories The the kind of lore about this is that sci-fi apparently was quite concerned that the show was just way too focused on the beat to beat drama okay. of from the beginning to the end, which is what it is. And they were like, no one can access this show if you just found it now. And you have to remember that their mindset was it's not very easy to catch up. So we're just because this was like during the, at best you had Netflix by mail. You right. could also go buy the DVDs at the store or whatever, but it wasn't like you can just be like, oh, I'm going to. Season five is coming out. I'm just going to stream all the other seasons. That Good wasn't point. an option. Good point. So as a result of that, they wanted to make it, I think, more accessible. And so you have episode and like kind of get to know the characters and just kind of get in. Sure. And so that's where the boxing episode comes in and all. I mean, the boxing episode is notorious. That's but, an interesting one. Yeah, it's <laughs> and there's just a lot of wasted time. And these they happen in bursts. Like, I think it was episodes. I want I'm looking through my notes. Maybe I'll find it in a little while. Yeah, it was like episodes five and six, and then I think episode eight, nine, ten, and it's like weird things where it's like, damn, this is all just wasted time. And what was funny was at the end when you meet the captains from some of the other ships at the trial. Yeah, it's like it's like these are the people we want to know more about. Like, why are we wasting time on all of this ephemera that has nothing to do with the story when there are we actually don't know shit about almost any of the other ships? Like, what happened to the prison ship and? We, we, we go to the Tilium ship, but it's like, what, what's been going on there the entire time, et cetera, and so on. So I'm just curious where you settled on the season and if you found it better than you thought it was. Because I do think it, I do think Crossroads, the two-part episode that ends is excellent. Oh my God, so good. And I think there are a lot of cool moments, including finally meeting some of the Cylons, like the hybrids and all of that, which I love. And so there is really cool stuff buried in this season, but it, I would say oh, that that, God, is, that yeah. is the key word buried in this. Season. So <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm rambling. What, what did you make of season three? Well, you know what? It's funny. You and I did have kind of an ongoing dialogue, mostly via text over the three or four weeks that we were watching. It's the better part of a month. And we were talking about it and you did graciously give me an out. At first I was like, dude, I don't know. It's starting to stray into Star Trek territory for me. And you know, I have to say, go back and listen to our first two episodes, seasons one and two. I mostly do li- did like the series so far. I kind of ebbed and flowed with it, sh- the the series generally meandering into like what I feel personally isn't too far into Star Trek territory. And, and so far as tone and atmosphere, crossing the line of cheesiness a little bit, but mostly I've really enjoyed it. For some reason with the undertaking of season three, I think it was a combination of things in all fairness, right? You have a 20 episode thing that you have to digest. Each episode is a better part of an hour. So, you know, when you're doing that for a show and you want to have a, a reasonable, intellectual, somewhat intelligent discussion on something, 
first of all, you know, I'm an old crusty dad. It's taken up my media time. So going in, I was like a little bit like a little bit leery, you know, like, oh man, I don't know. Like, how is this going to go? So I was already a little bit biased against it going in. For some reason, I was just feeling a little pe- overly pessimistic. And it is interesting. And also, I have to say, I was excited when you and I started to have those discussions. You were like, I don't know, maybe we pull the plug. And I said, no, dude, this will actually be amazing because if I actually got all the way through a season of something, a topic that we do, right? And I was down on it, that would be an interesting discussion for knockback. Sure. We're very, it's striking to me because we're very lucky. Most of the things we cover, obviously, we pick a lot of the things. There's some fan shows and topics, but we pick a, the lion's share. Mm-hmm. So it's not a surprise that we would enjoy most of the topics, but we're also very lucky, very fortunate that for the most part, we're very up on stuff and we get to kind of gush about various topics. So I thought it would be an interesting look for knockback if we got to you know, say something and break down something negatively. Didn't turn out that way. Started a little negative, got positive, got a little negative. And then by the time the season ended, I was really up on the show. I think they did a lot of things. They do a great job. And uh, you know, for, for this season, from the outset, I'll say, I've very rarely witnessed a piece of media, movie, television, series, whatever, that goes from almost insufferable and unbearable at times to being bloody brilliant. I mean, nearly perfect. I would say the perfection, the quality is risen to a crescendo, I would say, in episode 19. I was blown away with the writing and the acting in that episode. Amazing. And also to tell you guys too, if you haven't seen the series yet or you haven't seen the season yet, don't spoil it for yourselves. There's a lot of things that we'll discuss that are, you know, this is a this is a series of reveals, cliffhangers, and tension. So it's worth watching before you listen to the conversation. But I will say one thing before we go in and sort of break it down in a in a molecular sort of way, and there's so much to say, dude. I'm I'm really excited. Is that one thing for this season that I will say, uh, one thing that you already spoke on a little bit that I didn't mind was actually the one-off sort of bottle episodes because I don't mind that because I like the character building and this show juggles a lot of characters for good or for bad. Mostly they do a pretty good job with it, I think, in all fairness. But I don't mind those episodes because they're character building moments and character relationship moments that help flesh out all the characters that we're following in this world, there's a lot of main characters in this, in this yeah, series. Big, so I didn't mind ensemble. it for that. Big ensemble. Definitely. I agree. Yeah. Great. On, a great ensemble, big ensemble, large ensemble. And one thing though, that I noticed about this season and I think where this series in general is lacking, there's very, very little levity in the entire 20 episode run of, of this particular season. It gets way too bogged down in at times conversation, exposition, and dialogue. As good as the writing is, and as good as the ideas are in the writing, and it's a very unique work of science fiction, especially for something that you have to remember is a retelling, you know, of a 1970s series. So you have to remember that. So, but I think they get a little bogged down and they got a little heavy. Like I was waiting for those pockets of sort of levity. And I think there's like one in the entire season where it's like, that's intentional levity, where it was like, it was a conversation, I believe, between Admiral and Madam President. And they're sort of laughing about things and joking about things. And it's only like a two minute reprieve. Even that boxing episode, I call it the grudge match episode. You could have really had fun with that. But it mostly centered on Apollo and Starbucks shit. 
like their tension and their beef with each other, which kind of got bogged down in all that Starbuckness for me. So that was the big thing is get it gets talky with the exposition. And that's where it starts to cross over for me into Star Trek territory where it's like, all right, like, you know, it's my inner Star Wars and my inner Blade Runner, you know, and my inner Matrix like that. I want I want to see that. And when it starts to meander away from that, I think I have my own inner biases, especially with sci-fi. That's where it was a problem for me. But I loved the whole experience, the highs and the lows, and the way it kind of peaked and valleyed. And I can't wait to get into it. I really got to, I think they did a great job. There was a couple of things that they missed. Tom Zarek, for instance, they really didn't flesh that character out like they should have. But they mostly touched on, I would say, 95% of the characters and helped build the characters with their own little, you know, bottle episodes, really, is what I would call it. So, um, if that's a fair place to start, my friend. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, it's, I'm glad that you ended up having a good experience with it because I, I think I got to the end of it too and I was thinking this isn't as – I never thought it was bad, but I'm like this isn't quite as weak as I thought because I think a lot of the episodes early on or midway through, I was like it was confirming kind of some of the things that I, I – because I really like lore in, in shows like this. And sure. you have to remember that I was watching this now when it was when it was on. So – at this point, we were getting like really annoyed. It's like, where are the Cylons? Like, who are the what is going on? How does everything work? And they do start to kind of get into all of that, which is cool. But the show, of course, begins with the Cylon occupation of this planet that they found, this rugged planet where they can live in kind of the equatorial band and eke out a, and survive. And they're there for, I think, a hundred and well, they're, they're there, I think, for a while. And then we find them 134 days into us, the Cylon occupation. The Cylons have arrived. And this is an interesting situation because I think now certain characters are becoming more important and rising to the fore. And I actually think are performed really well. Like, I really think that Ty during this season is awesome and awesome job really well done and like it's finally you get to see him as like kind of a guerrilla leader and it's like sending out suicide bombers to do do dirty work and they're trying to kill baltar and we see chief with the labor union which is kind of cool there's a lot of things that are really interesting kind of weird that it would reduce to this but this was the the time where i feel like the show feels the most realistic because it kind of embraces its cold steel brutalism and fascism in a way that I feel like these particular situations would reduce. So you'd have some sort of school for kids, but it's probably not really doing very much. And you have some sort of labor market, but it's not very organized. And you have a Vichy type puppet government controlled by people that can just wipe you out at a moment's notice. And you're kind of curious why they're not wiping you out. But behind the scenes, what I think is cool about this is that the Cylons are starting to fall apart and the humans don't really know that. And what's interesting is that the Cylons start falling apart and even decommission one of their own and shelve them because a civil war is basically brewing about what they've done and what they will continue to do. And I think there are a lot of religious illusions here. And I think there are a lot of 9-11 illusions here again remembering when it was written and came out during the war on terror now we're in iraq in this point this is 2005 2006 i think so what did you think about the the focus on this rocky outpost that they find and that they're found but that also 
the ships in orbit and the battle stars jump away. And so while the occupation is happening, they're figuring out what they can do with a very skeleton crew. And for the first time, everyone is apart. Maybe the first time since, let's think, like when maybe Hilo is back on Caprica. Like that was the first time. And, you know, Starbuck goes back to Caprica and stuff. But everyone's somewhat united and then they're split apart again. Sure. So what did you think about kind of this opening act of the season as they deal with the Cylons and get off the planet? Yeah, it was really cool with the whole new Caprica occupation and a, a big part of the human population being under the oppression of the of the enemy. And, you know, it's a it's a really oppressive place to start because you're like, how are this how is this small or this divided faction of humans going to rescue the other faction of captured humans, essentially? And how are they going to continue on with this? How are they possibly going to get out of this situation? And I love the way that scenario built up some of the characters, like you were saying, with uh, Colonel Ty, with his wife, Ellen, with how the Admiral is going to handle everything and Madam President are going to handle everything. And the people that were down, boots on the ground in that colony, in that settlement, or in that whatever it is, internment camp, whatever you want to call it. And how they were going to, each one was going to play their part in order to move on, in order to escape. That was a pretty cool place to start. And then it, it, it was the beginning of a season that really elicited my empathy, in, like you say, in a very realistic way for the human plight against the Cylons, because they're always encountering something. Also, the Cylons were encountering their own plights as well. They had their virus that they were dealing with, their internal struggles with who was going to be a part of their ongoing mission to find earth and who had to be, as you said, decommissioned. And with the humans, it was kind of one thing after the next, once they survive that new Caprica thing, then they're moving on to, they have other things, the food supply contamination, the labor strike, the tin, uh, the, is it t Tilium? Tilium. Yeah, yeah. Dealing with that whole thing, dealing with their internal struggles, their infight, you know, the political infighting, they're dealing with Gaius's trial. So they have their, there's always some sort of impediment along this whole series so far, but especially in this season for the humans to deal with. And they do it in a very realistic way. Like you're saying with the domestic terrorism, alluding to things that we have gone through ourselves in the last 20, 25 years with, you know, hearkening back, as you said, to 9-11 and everything. It was a very, I love when sci-fi is grounded that way and Me it's too. believable that way. And uh, they do a great job this season with that. And it's one thing after the next and it's stressful. There's a lot of tension and there's proper payoff too, which is cool. And I think that's probably where, Kyle, like those one-off-ish episodes get annoying because you're waiting for a payoff you know from the previous plot point that was right yeah has yet to be settled so right. you're waiting for those things you're waiting for the other waiting for the other shoe to drop and those one-off episodes but i like the way those one-off episodes do sort of pay off in the end in again getting us letting us know a little bit more about the characters their biases a lot of their internal problems maybe relationship issues but also the gray behind each character even characters that are inherently good like the admiral and madam president like you see their internal biases their problems the fact that they're not all good and conversely the silence aren't all bad right it's it's very complicated i mean i've said before rosalind's a fascist right yeah uh, it's it, it it there's no bones about that and it makes you she's one of the great characters on the show 
I think one of the most realistic characters on the show too. And her, obviously her relationship with Adama is awesome. Oh, it's so good. And really fleshed out in this. And I, I love it. I, lo- I love them together. They're such great actors, but you're right. Like the allusions to the war on terror, I found very overt. And I think it's going to be lost on new generations of people for sure. But it really hits you over the head with it. Like just in those first few episodes, they have like illegal imprisonment, imprisonment, rendition, you know, indefinite imprisonment, torture, erosion of rights for safety. And like we said, the suicide bombing and there's treason and insurgency and counterinsurgency and double agency. And there's all sorts of things and they just throw it at you. And it it was so timely. I just can't I can't uh, stress that enough to people how timely it felt and how much I remember it as I was watching this. But I'm also interested in the dis- not the destruction of the Cylons. That's not what's happening, but the the uncoupling of the Cylons from their mission. This is happening at a rapid rate and they're starting to disagree. And in fact, the models that usually speak as one are starting to disagree amongst themselves. So there's different sixes, and different threes and it's all getting messed up. And I especially love when number three goes before she's decommissioned, she goes and speaks to a mystic uh, that's like all strung out on Kamala. And you start realizing that there is a spiritual connection between everyone. Also the, the shared dreams that they have and that this does seem to be turning into a biblical story. I, I think quite literally. In fact, leaving New Caprica is I think an illusion to just to, to Exodus, right? And the idea of just taking the people and, and leaving and, and right. getting out of danger and surviving and living to see another day. And I really enjoyed that as the humans begin to see their own role in the prophecies that are coming about. And like you said, sci-fi, we were because you we were talking about Dune recently, and similar where sci-fi that is grounded, and I hate the word gritty and shit, but you know, that's gritty and lived in and Star Wars did a really great job on this. As we've said, you know, you have the really clean Imperial starships and then you have like Mose Eisley and you have really beautiful TIE fighters and then you have X-Wings and Y-Wings that look like they're strung together. And I feel like we're kind of getting a little piece of this as humans are running out of options. They're running out of goods. And part of that frustrates me as I watch the show because I'm like, why does Laura Roslin's hair look so good? Why? why is this place so clean where where are you getting this liqueur in your bar and like all there's a lot of questions and i keep trying to tell myself like there's just a lot of people on these different ships that might be able to do these kinds of things and we don't really know what they're capable of so i try to keep an open mind there but i guess what i'm saying is is that the whole new caprica situation shows that the cylons are caught in this existential religious conundrum and that they are dealing with it for the first time. And I think humans have been embedded with this. They're polytheistic in the show, but they are embedded with this struggle and the knowledge of the 13th colony and this planet and the various gods or whatever, while the Cylons are monotheistic and think that they have a direct connection to God, but are realizing that their fates are intertwined. And it's interesting, although a little silly to be like, we made the wrong choice. What, what did we do that? To them for and it's almost comical because it's over i mean they're, they're basically done and they're so far by the way from their home system by the end of this that who the hell even knows where they are compared to that so what did you make of the cylons on new caprica their relationship of course to 
not only Gata, which I think is really interesting, but of course, Baltar and their own struggle as they kind of start fracturing and some of them start going along with, you know, there's a there's a Sharon model and a and a six model that are basically with them by the end. Right. Of the season. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So talk to me a little bit about what you think about the Cylons uncoupling and and it's on the precipice of us learning more about how they operate too, which is cool. And yeah, you know, their project, their astral projections and the hybrids and all this kind of stuff. So yeah. Talk to me a little bit about the Cylons on New Caprica and what you think about, about them. One thing I love about the series is much like star Wars, you see things from the antagonist's perspective and the protagonist's perspective, you know, and it, you get behind the lines of both fronts and you get to see things from both points of view, which is, I think, really cool. And just like the good guys in this episode, the so-called good guys, we got to know a lot of these Cylon characters a little more, or I would say considerably more in this specific season. And I love that there's they play up the similarities despite the conflict, right? The deadly conflict between these two races. You see the similarities between the Cylons and the humans, you know, they're both longing for and looking for a place in the galaxy. They're both striving for survival to perpetuate their race. They, they essentially at their core want the same thing. So it, it makes for an interesting conflict because they're both justified. But I got one thing about the series, and I think they have to be a little careful about this, is it gets a little confusing. You know, it has great ideas. It loves to play up the ideas in the writing, but despite the complexity, the seeming complexity of the Cylons, then you have, as you said, the iterations of each number and how, you know, they're kind of flying in the face of each other and there's internal conflict now. And then, you know, there's the inherent biases of the side, you know, the supposedly good Cylons behind the human lines and how a lot of people still don't trust them in the Sharon slash Athena character and the iteration of six, and now there's going to be more, which we'll talk about, that seemingly want to be you know, the new four that we're introduced to, and we'll get to this at the end of the episode, I'm sure. But you know how they're like coming out for the first time we're seeing them come out, they're revealed, and they're saying, they're doubling down on, no, no we're good guys. You know what I mean? Like, we're going to do, fuck this. Like, it doesn't matter that that's what we are. Like, we're still going to be who we actually thought we were type of thing. So it makes for a lot of interesting things. I started to get a little confused in this series, you know, having to go back and rewatch, which is kind of a, kind of a challenge on Peacock because there's like really lags with the service. I, Peacock needs to play, uh, work on their, their uh, system a little bit. Yeah. It's not great. It's not great. It's not clean, you know, no. but you know, I think for the most part in the end, I feel pretty content that I got everything, but I loved learning about, you know, number one, who was, I think initially he was the priest for the colonies, for the humans. And then number two, who's the guy that was shacking up a Starbuck on New Caprica. And then three, of course, is Lucy Lawless's Deanna, who is a fascinating character, you know, another femme fatale in the spirit of a, another six character. So I loved getting to know, and then of course, number four and number five, I, I, I loved getting to know these characters. Actually, number four, I think was Simon from last season, but getting to know these characters a little bit and what they want and the, the fact that they're striving for the same things when they find that, what is that colony? Um, the Jupiter, what do they call it? The five? Oh, I can't think of it. The, uh, the Eye of Jupiter. Is that what the Eye of Jupiter. 
yeah. with the whole thing with Starbuck and the eye mm. Jupiter and both, you know, sort of vying for the same thing. It reminded me of that G.I. Joe movie when they're both, when Cobra and G.I. Joe are both racing for the weather dominator. Right, right. If they right. both wanted the same exact There's thing. There's like three parts like, of it or something, right? And they have to like go and find it or something. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, like this kind of reminded me of that. Even, I think even number one was like in the Indiana Jones get up and stuff like that. It was like harking back to like those old adventure serials and indie and gi joe and stuff for me so it was fun but you know i loved getting to know both sides and i love that you see you know you're sort of able to get a glimpse into both sides of the conflict and see kind of who you're sympathizing with you know at any given time and how those sympathies could shift throughout even one 20 episode season you know like will you be a little more in step with the cylons like okay i get what they want you know what did you think of like one thing that threw me off a little bit with the Cylons? And I know they have to kind of create a departure. You see, you know, now you're seeing inside some of the Cylon ships and it gets a little B movie sci-fi campy with the blinking, you know, checkered lights and all that kind of thing. And then kind of the minority report ish tub of ooze that they're inside of and stuff. What did you think of all that? Did you, did you buy all of that? Did you think it was cheesy? I personally like that stuff. Like I, I'm, I like the uh, the Cylon ships. I like how they put their hands in the the like water and like oh yeah, I forgot about that. that. And and like they, we see Sharon in season two, like put a wire in her arm or whatever. But they, they it's like an that organic, cool. it's like an organic thing. That's I think it's interesting because I don't know what else, what else it could have been. I like that it fuses organics with with metals and and everything like that. Yeah, it's like a biomech. Right. And I, I and I love the hybrid. Like, I think that's one of the coolest parts of the show th- that there's this thing that they don't even really understand connected to each of their capital ships that talks constantly and all the instructions and the ship's telemetry and all that go through her. What did you think of that? Because that and, and I, I especially love how each of them have a different interpretation of what the hybrid even is and what, right. it, what it structures. And I love how Leo Ben. I think they say Leobin believes that everything it says is intentional and it has purpose. And there are people that, I guess, record everything they say and try to make sense of it. And I do like when it's like, jump, you know, like she like goes at the end and then she like opens her eyes and the ship jumps. I think that that's really cool. Did you like that? Or do you think that that was? That's so cool. It really reminds me of like anime sci-fi, especially the stuff in the, in the late eighties, early nineties, like Macross, where there's like, yeah, there's some sort of mysterious, or like a lot of good sci-fi, they, like, there's some sort of mysterious, all-powerful entity or whatever controlling everything that, like you said, even mysterious to them, even mystical to them, that they even have like a lack of understanding of. And that we, that's the type of thing too, like, and knowing there's only one more season and like an offshoot movie, like how much are we going to find out about this? You know, what's laying at the foundation of the Cylons? Like how many questions are they going to answer? There seems like there's a lot going on that we still don't know, but I love that. I mean, that's a, that's proper writing, you know, for stringing us along and for asking questions and for wanting answers and sometimes not getting them, you know, or getting them in a very small, in very small doses and stringing us along. It's, it's, it, the series does a great job at that. It's really, sometimes they drop a bead or they, you know, like I was really bothered for instance in this particular season of the lack of playing up the angle of father daughter between admiral and starbuck i feel like they weren't doing that like for some reason they just dropped that whole relationship until they didn't 
And then as soon as they started doing it in episode 16, you knew something was going to go wrong for one of those two characters. And you know what I mean? It's like, oh, we forgot, you know, like we went 15 episodes and didn't establish that Admiral feels fatherly over Starbuck or Starbuck looks up, up to Adama like a father. So we got to put that in real quick. But, but for the most part, 95% of the time, the juggling act is successful, which is, again, which is, you know, that's easier said than done when you're juggling a cast of this magnitude. You know what I mean? You have a lot of characters to, a lot of plates in the air, a lot of balls in the air, a lot of... <laughs> <laughs> juggling a lot of balls. Oh, juggling hey. a lot of balls. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you about the, the, the fleet at this point too, before everything before obviously there's this great conflict and everyone escapes or many people escape is that there's like a nihilism that's creeping into the fleet. And I think that that's really interesting because it starts asking the questions of like, what are we even doing? And I think that's where fat Lee Adama comes from, which was like a, a very controversial thing at the time. And I remember actually there was like, I think, I don't know where it was. It might've been on the IGN message board or something. Someone had a name fat Lee Adama, which I thought was like a, a really great username, but <gasps> there's a nihilism as they don't really know what to do and they're kind of stuck and they don't, they don't know exactly how to deal with the problem. At the same time, the Cylons are starting to really succumb to this very binary computer like thinking like they are horrified of retaliation. It's really interesting. Like they, they are, it's embedded in them that they under, they understand that it reminds me a little bit of the Japanese in world war two and in such that maybe the power differential is much different, but Japan hit the United States knowing the United States was going to retaliate. But they were doing it to buy time and reinforce themselves so they can do what they need to do or whatever. And the Cylons have just this real paranoia of the humans doing to them what they did and brings up this real moralistic quandary. So what did you think about what was going on with the ships? It was cool to see just like a skeleton crew and also learn a little bit about some of the relationships that have occurred or solidified since this happened, including chief with Callie, although that's on the planet surface and you have d with right. apollo of course so talk to me a little bit about what you think of the ships early on and what's going on with the adamas etc yeah i well the whole thing i meant to investigate this and i didn't the whole thing with jamie bammer like was that did he have some put on weight and then they had to write that in or is that an intentional story arc that's something i would like to know about because it was very odd you know, it was interesting. It was totally, you know, it's totally fine. And you know what, the way they did it and the way he trained with Hilo and everything like that and lost the weight and he got back in shape and, you know, became this, you know, this Han Solo-ish type swagger, pilot with swagger again or whatever. And right. then, of course, he has his law arc later on. But I, I wondered what the story was with that because it seems like something where maybe – Jamie Bammer put on the weight and then they're like, all right, well, obviously you're a key component to the series. We got to kind of write around this, but at the same time, you're going to have to shed like whatever it was. Like he was pretty large, like probably 50 pounds or something. Yeah. It's unclear. You know? Like I didn't know if it was like a fat suit or with makeup That's or, if it was a possibility. Like, or if it was like Mac on always sunny in Philadelphia where he intentionally gained the weight. <laughs> right. Or what right. I don't know. I, I have no idea. I would, I always assumed it was just a, it was, it was striking because they actually don't even mention it until i think his dad insults him yeah like something happens there where it's like yeah his dad kind of kind of puts him on the path of losing weight or whatever but it was it was interesting but it was also part of my journey in the beginning with this series where i was like what is you know where where are we going here like is you know what kind of cheese are we crossing into potential cheese 
But with the fleet, I, I, I keep meaning to do this as well. Like I want to know, you know, it's a very dynamic looking visually. It's a very cool looking fleet. You know, they have this, you have this battle star and you have this civilian fleet in tow and you have these really cool designed ships and you always, they do a really good job with continuity and consistency as far as like seeing the same ships. And some of them look, you know, very dynamic and some of them have very distinctive shapes and everything. I keep meaning to look at like a fan chart of each one, not only the names, but what they do. And like you said, it was cool to meet some of the, some of the captains of these ships or admirals, whatever you want to call them later on in the, in Gaius's trial. But I wanted to, it was cool to get out of the Galactica and get into some of these, like the, the Tilium, Tinium or Tilium? Tilium. Tilium, the Tilium mining ship and get off the Galactica and get into some of these because you're, you're constantly curious knowing there's like 45, 50, whatever thousand people and they're all occupying these different ships. They're not all on Galactica. They're not all on Madam President's luxury liner. They're, they're, they're spread out between a bunch of ships. So to get to know a little bit about the civilian fleet and the people that live inside them and stuff like that, it just, it made it, again, it made it more realistic and it puts you behind the, the lines of more than just the soldiers and more than just the enemy, actually what's going on with, with the people, which I think they could even, in all fairness, I think they could even do a better job with that, but at least they started to get more into that where you could see, you know, get a, a better overview of what's going on with the humans in general, not just the people fighting on the front lines. If that makes sense. Definitely. Let's talk a little bit about this battle, which I know you like when the human fleet returns and there's a uh, raptor that makes contact with the resistance and they're coordinating with each other. And there's, it's really cool. There's actually an amazing looking scene where the Battlestar, Battlestar Galactica jumps in to so close to the planet that it's it's like crashing, careening, so cool. and all the vipers are leaving and then it, it jumps away. Or whatever it's just neat. There's a lot of really cool stuff, and of course they sacrifice Pegasus oh. at this point as well to get away, which is a really cool scene as well. And they take a bunch of base stars with them. What did you make of this this battle to get off of the planet, and also the way that they mix in some really interesting stuff? Like you had mentioned earlier, the the Cylon virus. It's fascinating because it 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 emanates from this ancient beacon which is left there by mysterious persons which is kind of cool in and of itself but talk to me a bit about getting off the planet and what you thought of that kind of that calamitous battle that space battle was probably the it's probably one of the best space battles i've seen particularly on television maybe the best certainly the best on television um yeah when the galactica jumps to the planets right into the planet's atmosphere was really striking i was like whoa what a great idea and did they borrow that for The Last Jedi, the light speed attack? Because obviously this was first. We're talking about this This is important to say. This mm-hmm. season, 2006 to 2007, and we're talking about a 2004 series. So, Ryan Johnson, did you borrow that? I like the light speed attack. I thought it was a really beautiful anime-esque attack. I know a lot of people, including Kyle, have a problem with the science behind it as far well, not as not even the, the science it's, it's, it breaks it breaks star wars for me it breaks yeah. the star wars philosophy of why can't you just always do that yeah just make a bunch of ships in a foundry so you know in a shipyard somewhere and stack a bunch of droids and then just fucking punch them in the, in the ships <laughs> but i didn't think of that i said yeah. wow i think they borrowed this from battlestar so battlestar galactica dating back to the late 70s always talking about in the other way 
you know, like how much should Battlestar borrow from Star Wars? Now we get to reverse the conversation a little bit, but great space battle. And um, that was really striking. Uh, That was a visual feast. And they didn't really do a lot with the space stuff. Of course, later on with Kara's death and you get a little bit more space stuff, but that was the really dynamic sort of set piece space battle for the whole season happened very early. And I love, dude, I love the whole thing with the Cylon virus and sort of the human struggle with questioning how um, righteous it would be to attack using biological weapons when, you know, basically hitting them when they're down and how the humans are like, I, you know, Adama was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know about that. It doesn't seem right. You know, again, sort of like imbuing that that conflict with this gray area where it's like, whoa, like it it really makes it believable. Like they're struggling, even though they know this race of silence is out for their destruction, they're still asking the question of like, you know, can we should we do this? You know, do we do we attack the enemy camp while they're asleep? That type of thing. It's like the rules of war playing into a science fiction story. It was really, really cool. I really, I really dug all that. It was really neat. Yeah, I found it. I find that frustrating, especially as it plays out with Hilo, who, which is a character I really like. But Hilo is always the conscience. Like Hilo is always the good angel on everyone's sure. shoulder, maybe to a fault. It's the very beginning. I mean, he's the one who trusted Sharon and all this weird yeah, shit. True. Yeah. But it's fascinating that they have this problem, and I think I relate in some way to the more the the more brutalist qualities of the president where it's like there's what are you talking about it we should murder all of them if we can they it doesn't matter like they they obliterated our civilization we're done right we're now seeking some planet that probably most of us don't even think really exists and we're talking about whether we want to fight them back or something like that. It's like, there's no moral, moral question here at all in my mind. Like there's no ethical question. They're not even, and this is the thing. And this is the thing I know the human struggle with is they're not humans. They're not human. They're not human. Right. There's that awesome scene where you're reminded of it, where Ty punches six in the face in the jail cell. And I love that scene. And then she just, she just looks at him and punches him right back in the face. And it just reminds you like they're not human. Right. We're reminded of that when we're reminded, of course, during the trial that the president is cured by Baltar injecting her with Hera's blood. Yeah, it's not much of a question. I think you probably want to keep some of them dead or like some of their blood and stuff and play with it and, you know, explore it or whatever. But that beacon was there for a reason. If you believe in the in the mysticism of Battlestar Galactica, you have to assume that they encountered that after a jump for a reason. And that the you know the Cylons went and discovered this beacon that ended up almost wiping them out. So it's it's frustrating to me because it's like you had them, you had them, right? And you should have done it, right? There's exactly. no question that you should have done that, and that's that's a little frustrating, uh, a little frustrating to me as well. But uh, as we say, they sacrifice the Pegasus and all of that. And I wanted to at- talk to you a little bit about this random episode where we're introduced to bulldog the pilot this is a fascinating episode it really is and it's the first time that we realize that the admiralty knows more about what was happening in that armistice period 
than right. meets the eye and that it suggested, although not confirmed, that maybe they were trying to go to the Cylons into attacking them to begin with. And right. it's an idea that they they play with because there's this red line that's created in whatever armistice they sign with the Cylons. And it's so fascinating to think that they sign up. It's not a peace treaty, but they they have this this agreement with the machines and this is when they're still machines right so it's fascinating to think about about it they're still metallic toaster machines and they sign this armistice as we see uh, learn about in the very first episode of the show and they disappear beyond the red line and we discover here a pilot named bulldog who escapes a vessel a base star in a stolen raider and finds his way to the ship and what you learn about this guy is that he was captured and abandoned by, you know, captured by the Cylons before the war and abandoned to his fate. And we learn a little bit about this battle star called Valkyrie that actually crosses the red line and um, tries to rescue and the black ops mission goes wrong. And there's a question, although I don't know if you interpret it, Dig is fulfilled that mm. this might have goaded this this might have truly goaded the Cylons into attacking possibly or we already know six for instance is on Caprica by this point the the plan might already be in motion right we know that we know that they were the humans were not abiding by the rules of the armistice so what did you make of that whole arc I thought that that was fascinating and I wish that they integrated Bulldog more into the show beyond that point you know because he's kind of good by the you know by like it's it, it, things kind of work out a little bit for him at the end like right and it could it would have been cool to see him invite in you know with the viper pilots you know with hot dog and 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 everyone else but what do you make of this character what did you make of this episode i feel like this is one of the more likely or one of the more uh, likable episodes of the season yeah it was cool it was really interesting and it was a really defining you know the whole situation besides meeting the bulldog character is a really defining character for the remaining humans for the resistance and for Admiral Adama, you know, that you really see that, that gray area that exists and the fact of like fighting this war where they're completely really, I mean, really the humans are completely outclassed, right? That they have to get down with some really scrappy methods in order to win little battles, you know, eventually hoping to win the war, but by having these little victories, building on these little victories by doing these really shady things. I mean, it was a heartbreaking arc because when you meet this bulldog character, you know, he's like an old vet. He's a part of the fleet. But then when he finds out what happened, that he was basically put out there as a decoy in not so many words in this operation and treated as like cannon, really as cannon fodder so they could, you know, conduct this conduct this uh tactic which was really like really a crazy thing and it really spell it, it ends well but you could see why he wouldn't stick around you know be an interesting thing where it'd be like you know you're gonna go back into another viper even though you were kind of thrown to the dogs already you know it was great i mean it was one of those bottle episodes that was again really cleverly functions as something that really fleshes out some of the characters and the overall conflict behind the series, which was really kind of a neat way to do it. A really nice, nice kind of way to tell a story, you know, by showing and not telling, you know, which I think the series did a good job this season with where they, yeah. you know, again, you know, fleshing out the characters via fleshing out the story, fleshing out the origins and the history, which this one did. And this, this specific episode did. And just saying like, 
that the humans have, you know, they're just as much to blame in some capacity as the Cylons in this in this case, where obviously the Cylons started it. The humans are gonna, you know, the humans are gonna resort to whatever they need to resort to in order to not get destroyed, you know, if if not win. Right. All right, Dave. We're at the point now where I want to ask you about some of these what you call bottle episodes that we encounter, I think, one after the other. That's one of them, too. But episode nine is the boxing episode. Episode 10 is like with the poison algae. Sure. And all the rest. So these are these are episodes that kind of halt things. But there is some, in my opinion, but there are some interesting things that happen here. I particularly like that the Deanna character, they're playing around with the Deanna character and suicide. And I really wanted to, I was curious to know what you thought about this particular choice, because I love that we learn, I think through, might be Cavill, one of the Cavills says that it's getting more and more painful. It's getting harder to revive ourselves in the resurrection ship. And it's becoming scarier and like, whatever, like it's not going the way that they thought it was going to go as they die over and over again. But Deanna keeps killing herself on purpose to resurrect and to experience this interstitial space between life and death that they've discovered as silence. And this is where this is what I've been trying to tell people as I try to get people to appreciate this show more is that it's not really a science fiction show. It's a science, a show with a science fiction setting, but it is a show about religion and philosophy. Yeah. Right. Good point. And, and, and like straight up. Yeah. And the 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 trappings of what's happening doesn't don't really matter. You could imagine that it would be similar if it was like a primitive race on a planet getting chased by a more technologically advanced race into the mountains and they fight this last campaign. It's just that like it's space. And I like that before they put Deanna into cold storage, they basically decide to just put her away. We learn that there are we we know that there are 12 Cylon models and that there are there at this point with Deanna, we learn that there are five that we're going to learn about. We learn about four of them by the end of the season. Oh, yes. But what did you make of that whole arc about how she's intentionally killing herself, that she literally disappears? Everyone's like, where the fuck are you? And she's literally finding different ways to kill herself so she can resurrect and come back and resurrect and come back and have this this unintentional philosophical and religious connection to this gray space in between life and death that the Cylons had never intended to explore. Right. And, and how they can no longer trust her because she's so obsessed with this forbidden knowledge that is not embedded in them yeah she kind of becomes single-minded and then they you know eventually because of this is the reason why they have to take her out and kind of put her out of her own misery but yeah she becomes almost obsessed it almost becomes like some sort of uh you know rapturous moment for her and it really draws up the point of how similar the humans are or the cylons are to the humans that they they kind of get transfixed by the same things, not just with religion, but with the mysteries of religion and discovery, you know, finding things out, that gray area between life and death. And it had me wondering whether that was going to be a thing or whether that was going to be a thing that actually set the Cylons apart, that there's this in-between world that they could then access. I thought that's where we were kind of going with that. Like it was going to be some sort of thing that they they could use in order for, you know, again, to put forth their own ends or, you know, something that they could access in order to achieve victory over the humans or something. I thought that's where that was going, but it was really neat. I really liked the loosely lawless character and, you know, the Deanna character and where she seemed a lot different 
than the other Cylons. You know, she Definitely. seemed a little more multidimensional or a little deeper than the other ones. Even six, even the six character. So that was a really interesting. That was a really interesting bit of um, of writing or an idea that they got in there. That again, you know, harkens back to that whole religious thing where it's like the monotheistic versus the polytheistic or multi-theistic thing where it's like even though they have those religious differences the two factions have those religious differences how similar they are you know and you know i i wondered with the diana thing too like initially was that some form of not hopelessness but some form of questioning how righteous the cylon mission was too you know and and in fact of like she seemed really gung-ho for the whole eye of Jupiter thing and that whole crusade to, you know, beat the humans there to the planet, to the shrine and all that kind of stuff. And then she took that turn. So it was like how, you know, how she seemed even a little more human than the other Cylons who sometimes seem very human themselves. So that was interesting. And I'm looking forward to seeing where, you know, if they, if they continue anything with that, not with that character, but that arc. It's cool too, that Sharon plays around with suicide as well to infiltrate the planet. Because the centurions and whatever don't, they can't figure out who's who. Like you know, it's it's a it's a Sharon, it's a it's a six, or right? They yeah, don't, good they point. don't have any idea, so they were able to take advantage of that too. I think to for some clever writing. You had brought up the Eye of Jupiter, and this is the painting, basically. Now this is where things get really mystical, and I'm curious about what you think of. And we have to jump a little bit forward to answer this question about Starbuck, but. The question remains, is Starbucks some sort of biblical character in this? Like she specifically is a biblical character, very similar to the president, where she plays a role, like not yeah. just a, a, an amorphous movement to, to find Earth, but she is at the center of it. Remember, of course, she returns to Caprica to get the arrow that points to right. the planetarium that allows them to see what Earth what the Scott, which I think is one of the coolest parts of the show when they see when they're standing in this like, you know, in this in this planetarium and they look up and it's what the stars look like from Earth's surface, which I think is cool, fucking dope. So then they can start triangulating things. They find like a nebula. That's where they're going towards by the end of the season. But I love that they have this painting in her apartment from the very beginning of the show when you see her space on Caprica, like her apartment, and they have this huge painting and then the paintings found in various places and i like that the chief gets involved here because he comes from a priestly family so he has some understanding and i also love the biblical nature like it's clear that something is happening uh to everyone in the story i think when the cylons and the humans converge at this place to find the eye of jupiter or what it means to point to the next clue and they're there to witness a nova at the time that it's happening. It's which is, you know, happens after many billions of years to a, a typical star. And it was prophesized, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. And so they're there, they're seeing it all. And I, I, it gives me goosebumps almost because it's so good. Not because the story itself is good, but because it's so exciting to think about a person in this unusual situation, let's say, where they're like, holy shit it's actually like everything is actually happening. Like even the non-believers, the skeptics must not be skeptical when time and time again, they survive based on 
the the injection of certain people into the situation over and over and over again. So what did you think about the eye of Jupiter? You had brought it up earlier about chief kind of figuring this out along with Starbuck having kind of painted this vision that people are sharing. And, uh, I don't know. I'm curious what you think about this kind of existential crisis there. Yeah. It was chilling. You know, how did we end up, how did we humans end up in the same place with our, arch enemy at the same time at this prophesized event as it was written the this stars supernova we only have min- once that happens i think it's gator right he's like once that happens we'll have minutes to get out of there once we see the the anomaly or the light we'll have minutes to escape so there's that danger which was really cool like little action set piece thing but it was really neat and yeah really mysterious how you start to see that there's more to this pain in the ass hot shot pilot character, the Starbuck character with the eye of Jupiter and how it dates back to her childhood, how she used to draw it when she was a kid and the, the painting of it on the wall. And not only dating back to her childhood, but also had me questioning too, like, wow, like what's going on with Starbuck? Not only in questioning who the final Cylon is, I have no idea, completely unspoiled. You'll, you'll, thank you very much. But it's also weird. like how much of her skit, like, like it got me thinking like, wow, like, so she's not just this human, like non Jedi wedge, like super talented pilot. Like she's actually superhuman in some way. So now it's got me thinking about all these different things, got all my wires crossed, but it was so neat. Like, I love the whole thing with the prophecy, not only that, but the visual effects or the supernova. I thought they did an awesome job. That's one thing with this season too. You go back to 2004 with season one, and then you look at season three, like all those space exterior shots of the fleet, the Battlestar Galactica, uh, the supernova, all the effects stuff, the dog fighting. It was super like you could see how much it evolved in just a few years, which was really kind of a nice, nice little visual feast. Treat. Money and popularity, yeah. I think, change a lot Good of. Good point. A you lot know, of get a little more in that bank. Get a little, a little better visual effects. But that was really cool. You know, I, lo- I love everything. And you know, there's with this season, you could get caught up in the eye candy and sort of the the set piece action and all that kind of stuff. But there's always deeper meaning. You know, to to your point, there's always a deeper meaning going on, drawing back to not just actual human society, but like you say, religion and its its place in the story and how it really reflects real life. Which is, you know, I always it's 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 worth watching again. I think I haven't watched I haven't rewatched any season yet, but I think that's a big part of rewatching it is just seeing just to get that depth because it's in there. It definitely is. I I recommend because I had, I think this is the third time i'm watching it all the way through i watched it mm. scattered things when i was on and stuff too that's impressive um, give it give it time like and go back to it i think you're gonna because i have like i almost forgot like some of the stuff I'm like, I, what, I'm like what happens to this and what you you kind of like remember i'm like yeah i know who the four cylons are like i've known the whole time <laughs> right but, but you still but like you still, you still don't right you still don't remember all the ins and outs of it so it's fun to go back to in that regard as well sure so we talk about this biblical timing, by the way, there. So this is when Deanna is being decommissioned and she has an amazing quote that I wrote down and it's um, right before she's boxed and she says, it's no flaw to wonder about your purpose. And I was like, this is a great line. And the Cylons now disappear for a little while. That's and it. we're and so we're left 
to get back into what's going on with the humans for the most part. And we explore some interesting things. There's the whole Dr. Roberts Sagittarian episode, which I think is a total waste of time. Yeah, yeah um, you didn't think, what did you think of yeah, that? Yeah, well, well, I mean, do you disagree? I, I just, I don't know, like where they, I think it was like a commentary on Christian science or something. And I, I, I was saying Jehovah's Witness or something. I don't, I don't know, but they're really only been. about, they're really only about um, blood transfusions. But yeah, it was weird because like we, we learned more about some of these planets, but I, I, I just thought, I was like, this was another episode where I'm like, why do we, what what is this episode you know i that did you feel differently about it yeah i mean if anything it was probably a good reminder that you know the humans come from these 12 colonies based on whatever our constant you know actual constellations or whatever and you know that they're different colonies there was a you know there was a class system some of them were blue collar and and frowned down upon some of them like i guess what some of them were like certain certain types of people seem like all the officers came from the higher end colonies and the lower end colonies that were like you know the laborers and the farmers and stuff were kind of frowned upon and how there was a racism you know against certain colonies and how certain characters like they say D came from Sagittarius even though that was a lower end lower class colony that she ascended up into like the higher ranks of being an officer and stuff despite her background but that there is like these inherent biases. So if, if anything, it was just a good reminder for that because I certainly wasn't. I, I certain, certainly forget that even though you know there's these colonists that are looking for this 13th colony. It was just a nice reminder of like the setup of the show and where the people initially came from, I guess. All right. Let's go to this, this episode about Bill Adama. Nice backstory into his life, the decay of his marriage. Oh, yeah. What did you make of all of that? It, it it added, I think, a lot of tragedy to that character because you realize that he wasn't in a loving situation. It was yeah. uh, a one-way relationship, and it's something even his own son observed. And it's difficult because you love this character, and you don't, at least I do, we just feel as if, I think, oh, I don't want to say we. I feel as if you want to keep treat this character with kid gloves because he's been through so much and you can see it on his face and yeah he's got this contentious relationship with his kid he lost another son yeah right and he lost his marriage and he's in this unusual situation and he's just our he's our hero he's our consummate hero and he's our consummate stayed professional and to see him in vulnerable moments i think is difficult even though it matures the courtship between him and Rosalind, which I think is awesome. And I, I, I love that aspect of it. It's just hard to know that he ha- he carries so much pain. And I'm wondering what you make of that. I wonder if they did that because it sort of clears the path for a would-be romance between Rosalind and Adamo and, and the Admiral. You know, th- does that clear the way for, you know, something where the admiral and madam president could have a relationship without the baggage of his past we know he's a widow, widower we know his wife's past so it makes it acceptable for such a heroic consummate good guy character we know he's the epitome of a selfless leader he's completely unselfish like you say he's completely lovable you're always backing him you see what a hero he is and like you said he already we know the tragedy of his life he already lost a son Obviously, he's a widower. So now to go in and find out that his wife never really loved him, not only that, but his his younger son knows it. 
as well. He's like, mom never loved you. It's really harsh. Yeah. But you know, it, it, you could see like, yeah, like the wrinkles and the creases in this guy's face, the furrowed brow, like this guy's had a tough life. And the fact that he could still be this hero and still lead the humans to a brighter day and do that in such an, a seemingly unselfish way. I think it does. I think it probably clears the way a little bit for him to ha- be able to go ahead with a new romance and know that like, we know just, I guess it's just nice in fiction to know like he could, it's okay for him not to think about his old wife because his old wife was kind of a bitch, <laughs> you know, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, was kind of mean, you know, yeah. kind of like not a nice person and made her, made that unrequited love real, even when she was alive, even when they were together, you know? So it, it really did. I mean, it, it adds insult to entry, poor, poor Admiral Adama, you know, but it was, it was uh, one of those really humanizing arcs where, and kind of cool that the show's not afraid to go there, you know, to take that tragedy even further, which makes you, it only makes you root for him more. And now you're really rooting for that relationship to bear fruit, you know, between Madam President and Adama, like, all right, like, yeah, we're ready. We're ready to see that now. We know we don't have to worry about the ex-wife anymore, so let's do it. <laughs> right, right. It's true. It's like it was like the necessary literal exposition we needed for him to to get over it, to get but beyond that, especially because he asks about her several times. But it's so you know, sweet that he only he brings out her picture and talks to it like only on his anniversary. Yeah. It's yeah. like his cathartic way of dealing with the whole thing. And the fact that he's still it's very Admiral Adama-ish, right? That he still keeps her in his heart because he loved her, even though that love wasn't returned. Very tragic. Very cool. Something really unexpected to see in a in a sci in a sci-fi series. So again, like makes it, you know, grounds it with those human emotions. That's the important part of the series. It's not the spaceships, all the cool stuff going on. It's that. It's the people. Yes, I agree one hundred percent. We also get a lot into kind of class conflict and the haves and the have nots. And it's interesting because Baltar is kind of trying to take advantage of the situation with his own manifesto. But we see back on New Caprica that there's an emergence of a labor union, the Colonial Workers Alliance. And it seems like it's the people that w- would be called in this show, the knuckle draggers that on the various ships, the more mechanical, let's say blue collar people together. Sure. But we learn a little bit more about their plight through the Tilium ship and the strike of the Tilium ship and how Chief gets involved in that, which I think is really cool. But it brings up this existential question. And I think this is where governmental systems and and economic systems come back into play and why the quaint, like why I think the one unrealistic aspect of Battlestar Galactica, well, there's, I'm sure many, but it's just this adherence to the rule of law. Like, I just don't think that that would happen in this situation. And in fact, I don't think that you could even expect that it would be possible in this situation. I do think that authoritarianism would rule the day and that isn't good, but it's understandable that a strong man would or a woman would come would come to, you know, a Mussolini type character would come to bear. And I mean, that, that's the way it would be. But no, yeah, nonetheless, they deal with these kind of tangential issues and i think one of them is class but moreover what would happen to people in these situations when they're just they are where they are they're put where they're put and and it's interesting there's it's through a kid who got his name pulled to go to the tillium ship to help them work there who basically just like interned at a farm for a month and so he has some sort of 
you know, experience with heavy machinery, but then he ends up getting tragically hurt or whatever. And it just asks this question of why do we, why are we just stuck in these situations? It's kind of not fair. And I think that it's an interesting and understandable quandary that the show absolutely needed to explore. And I think could even have explored far more. So what did you make of that particular focus on class conflict? Yeah, that was a really cool thing. Like that they have this cold and calculated sort of thoughtless, unfeeling system for putting people in boxes. That was a really striking moment, although it's such a small moment in the series. It's like that kid's like, I'm not a farmer. And he's trying to explain himself, you know, and they're just like, whatever, you're a farmer. You know what I mean? Like says here, you're a farmer. Like, and he's like, no, dude, like I did this for a summer. Like I'm not a farmer. I don't, you know, so like the way that people are processed and put in boxes without really exploring who they are, digging deeper, like, just again, it speaks to real life, you know, things that we can relate to, things that we've gone through or loved ones have gone through. I love that. And, you know, again, in, conti- in continuing that class system thing and that reminder of like, even though there's this common enemy, there's still these internal biases going on. We saw that again with the doctor episode and that people from different, he was trying to basically kill people from different colonies or, you know, saving the vaccines or the medicines for people who he deemed more worthy. You know, that that stuff's still going on in wartime. You know what I mean? It's very, it's a very human, real life, realistic thing. You know, think that goes on. You know, if we, let's say we were fighting a war with China, right? God forbid that ever happens. But let's say we were fighting a war with China, the United States, the West and Western allies, whatever you want to call them. Does that mean everybody in the United States, internal biases and prejudices are just going to go away? No, it's still going to be here. Tragically, sucks, but that's just the way it is. Right. So, you know, it's really cool and calculated that the the series puts those things in and really makes us, again, it draws us in, you know, because like we're fighting these metal robots and we're running from space and we keep jumping at light speed to get away from them. And it seems like a, you know, a fantastic scenario. But then when you ground it with this kind of shit, you could really put yourself in that position. You know, whether you're one of the good guys or one of the bad guys, you know, whether you're the evil doctor or you're Hilo saying this guy's a bastard. You know, it was Hilo, right? It was Hilo calling him out. Was it yeah. Hilo? Yeah. So, it was. you know what I mean? Like, no matter what part you play, you could see yourself in that scenario. You know, it really is one of those things where you could put yourself in that situation and say, how, I, how would I do this? You know, how would I conduct myself in this situation? Which is something that I'm really falling in love with about this series and you know, I was unfairly misjudging it at the beginning of the series. I think, yeah, I think it really just, it got, got super good, man, to, towards the end. So in the middle to the end, it was like, wow, like it really had me probably for the last 10, 10 episodes, I would say. What did you, before we get into the tribunal, I mean, cause we can wrap up with that. That's such a, oh, huge, sure, yeah. that's a huge story, but we see at the very end of the show that Starbuck returns. Uh, I'm just curious what you thought about her death and what you think about her return. Did you think she was dead? And um, I did. Yeah. And what what did you what did you make of her returning? And what do you think that that says about her character? I mean, obviously, she's supernatural in some way. Yeah, I have no idea. You don't even really know at first if Lee's dreaming or what, because he's been going through some, you know, moral and mental quandaries himself towards the end of the season. So you don't really know what's going on with that character, too. Yeah. And they allude to it or they foreshadow a thing with Starbuck early in the season, too, where she almost dies. So, you know, she basically fly crashes into another ship and then returns on like fumes 
to the Bay of the, of the Galactica. So there's a whole thing leading up to, you know, she was interesting for me this season because I felt like three quarters of the way in probably, it was just like, all right, it's Starbucks. She's still a pain in the ass. She's still unnecessarily angsty. That's how it felt to me. And I was like, all right, I see all these other arcs. You're introducing all these other characters. You're giving us more depth with this other giant cast, almost everybody. But Starbuck just seems the same. And there seems no reason for it, you know, until they get to the arc, not only with the Eye of Jupiter and sort of her history, which seems a little bit hearkening to something religious or supernatural or, you know, otherworldly or whatever, but her history of abuse with her mom, that she was physically abused and mentally abused as a Mm. kid, which now you're starting to see, okay, now the angst and the rapid, constant, fighting and lashing out and getting written up and getting disciplinary actions and all that kind of stuff. Now it's all making sense. You know, the whole Maverick thing is starting to make sense, but you know, it was three quarters into the episode, but I knew they really, again, they hinted at it because they started to play up out of the blue. Again, they needed to do this, the, the father daughter relationship between Admiral and Kara started to get played up again. I was like, all right, something's going to happen here. And since they already did that with Adama going from season one into season two, I knew it had to be something with Starbuck. You know, something was going to happen. There was going to be some sort of emotional occurrence. And it is very emotional when she dies. Like just seeing it, forget Lee, just seeing it through Admiral Adama's eyes was really heartbreaking. That was crushing. Apparently, you know, unfortunately, they waited a little too long. They should have hinted at that relationship in order to draw out the emotion throughout the season from early on because it would have played up, you know, the the father daughter emotion and the loss. It would have played up the loss. But with with the the Kara character, the ending, it was. I feel like they shouldn't have done it. I feel. I, I don't know. I feel like there was enough at the end. With, you know, again, we'll go into the the trial, the Gaius trial, but I feel like ending it on that note with the drama between Lee and Madam President and Admiral Adama, with Lee sort of being pulled between two different careers. Is he going to follow his grandfather into law or is he going to go back and be a CAG? Not only that, but the hard feelings you know, that are sort of festered, that have sort of festered between the president and Adama and Lee. But also the fact of Gaius getting off, spoilers, and the fact that even though he got off, the tragedy is that he's going to have to re, you know, sort of reintegrate himself into society. And how the hell is this guy going to do that where two thirds of the population want him dead? I thought that was enough to end on. So seeing the Kara thing, I don't know. I guess they wanted a proper cliffhanger like they had done the first two seasons. But I'm not sure how necessary it was. And it was also a little strange. A little creepy because you don't really know what's going on there. And and the fact of she's saying, I guess I understand because she's saying she found Earth and she knows the way and everything's going to be okay. And Lee's like, what? You know, Lee's just it's 30 seconds of the ending and Lee thought she was dead. <laughs> so it's like, what the, you know, what the hell is going on here? What did you think? How did you, what did you think of the ending? Now, you know where it's going. We're not going to yeah. talk about that yet. Vaguely. I mean, I, it's like hard to even remember a lot. Remember? The, you know, like a lot of, I mean, I remember the very end, but we're getting close. I mean, they show earth at the end of, yeah. the, of the season. And I think what's important 
to the lore is that they're showing Earth the way it looks pretty recently. Yes. Right? I mean, Pangea, like even when it's like the dinosaurs ro- roam the Earth, like the Earth didn't look like this. That's a great like point. Now. So you're seeing a, a kind of modern looking Earth. Yeah. That's an important clue. See North and America, I, Florida. Right. Florida prominently. Right. Exactly. And we're close. Like they show where they are in relation to our system and our star and they're, cl- they're getting close. So that's exciting. I love her coming back because I feel bad because I was watching it with Micah and, and I said something to her in the first season where I'm like, they'll never kill her or something like that. Right. And oh, then okay. I, I kind of had forgotten that that happened. And so when it happened, I think I kind of like ruined that arc for her. And I'm like, they're never going to kill Starbuck. But I totally forgot that they did. And so when that happened, I was like, you know, oh, sorry. But I dig it. I agree with you that there are a lot of we have a lot of threads. The Cylons are off doing something and yeah. tracking their jumps. They were tracking them through the Tilium ship, which is interesting. And we have, like you said, Baltar, who we have to discuss still off to find his people. And he's whisked away by some ladies to go live his life as we'll see. And then we have the president. And then we have what's going on on the ship, of course. And then we have two other hanging threads that we have to talk about. Yeah. I want to talk about the tribunal, but we'll end with that. I'm, I want to talk about the the, sil- the four Cylons we learn about. Sure. Of course. Crazy I love, was this. I love that. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I love the music ang- angle that they hear this song. It's like a song from childhood, I think, is the way. I think it might have been um, Anders describes it like that. And on one hand, I remember being like, oh, man, that sucks. You know, well, what? But I think that uh, it's fun to think about the possibilities about, well, as you said earlier, these people remaining in their posts and we see them return, in fact, to their posts. Fascinating. You see Ty return to the bridge. You see Tori return to the right hand of, you know, Billy Spot, as I like to call it, the right hand of the president. <laughs> that is Billy Spot, forever Billy Spot. But what I thought was interesting, Dagan, I don't know if you read into this at all, was that the four of them are kind of key characters in terms of their importance to the survival of the human race. And you have chief Tyrrell, who is in charge of the deck and repairs. You have Tori, who has the ear of the president. You have Ty, who is the XO of the ship. So, and then of course you have Anders and, and I think he's the most interesting one because of his relationship to Kara which right. is really important, even though you Very see it, you know, Felix and others trying to throw themselves at him. He's still really hung up on her, but also makes you wonder how did they survive on Caprica? Oh, yeah, because they weren't trying to kill him necessarily. And it brings a lot more. Dude, I didn't even into, think of that. And it brings a lot more into focus. Holy shit. So. What did you make of the four Cylons and discovering some of these key characters are mechanical machines have implanted memories and makes you wonder about the stories they tell and the memories they have and like we said like chief has a priestly background with his family right. but does right he, you know tory particularly just kind of comes out of nowhere and we all kind of acknowledge that and that that makes a lot of sense anders survives and finds his way to the fleet these are all again biblical style things so you're right so talk to me about about that yeah you're right when you think about their histories and their origins and how they're integrated into the story there's a lot to think about there 
I thought they did a really great job with taking four seemingly disparate characters that are seem not really don't really deal with each other too much. Now Sam and Tori form a relationship much later in like episodes 19 and 20. But for the most part, those are characters that are relatively detached from each other. And the fact that they're all Cylons is a great way to throw off the scent. Even though, even in thinking about it now or without rewatching the series yet, without rewatching the season yet, you could see they foreshadowed the shit out of it. But, which is really cool because yeah, it was still a shock to me. And I'm wondering now, episode 18, 19, and 20, as we're wrapping up this season, is there even going to be a reveal? Are we going to find out anymore? And who are they going to be? We find out earlier in the season that Gaius isn't one or supposedly isn't one. So we could tick that off the list. But I love this reveal, man. I mean, it gives you so much food for thought, you know? And again, at the end, that's why I say like the Kara thing, could they, you know, her coming back, the Starbuck thing, could they had her a reveal that she was alive? Could that come later? Because we also find out about um, Laura's cancer returning. So there's really a lot to think about going into season four already. Definitely. But these Cylon reveals, man, was really a shock. And I love seeing it. It's the first time, again, we talked about it a little earlier in the episode, but I love seeing their reactions to it. Like, no, this isn't happening. And how it's dawning on them and how they're kind of doubling down on like, no, like, fuck it. Like, I'm the colonel. I'm the XO of this ship. I'm this. No, I'm chief. I'm in, I'm in charge of, you know, the aircraft. I'm, you know, I'm the right hand to the president, whatever it is. Like, they're doubling down on like, they're, they're terrified, basically. They're terrified. And then they have to sort of keep it. It seems like they're kind of with a wink and a nod, going to keep it to themselves, to the four of them, and just kind of reintegrate themselves into their positions. It's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. And of course, you know the answer to this, but of course, I'm left guessing who's the final of the 12 Cylons. Who's going to yeah. be the one? You know, is it going to be... Starbuck? Is it going to be Madam President? Is it going to be Lee? I don't think it's going to be Lee. Is it going to be the Admiral? Who, who, you know, Hilo? Who knows? Like, who? It's like, what? Those are too obvious, though. Like, and then I'm trying to think, I'm trying to dig deeper. Like, you know, so I'm already going there. You know, I'm already, I'm already looking for the next bit. I'm already looking for the next reveal. So it's exciting. Yeah. Definitely. I love, you know, I love this. And who, I mean, especially with the Colonel, with Colonel Ty, who would have thought? You know, who would have possibly thought that was going to be the case? And the fact that he's revealed last two of the four was really cool. I've been trying when to he do walks my... into that room. It's like, yeah, oh. I, I, I love it, too. You know, lock the room. I've been trying. <laughs> I've been trying to do my impression, my impression, because he's that guy is just so great. Like he's so good, dude. Oh, you know, I, I, I like. <laughs> yeah, you know, oh. the courtroom scene, he just brings it to another. Everybody does in episode 19. But like, yeah, that. The acting in that episode, it just reminds you, we talk about this a lot on the show, especially with sci-fi and things that are more outlandish, but like the fact that they could get this cast to just the entire, to a person, to like really like give such grounded, nuanced and realistic human portrayals of these characters, like they all get it so much to a person. Like there's no one that even outside of that you know, no one is taking, there's not one person that's kind of like taking you out of it. You know, it's everybody. They're all 100%. Sure. The performances. It's really special. It's, you don't see that a lot. You know, I agree. I agree. I, I really think that the ensemble cast is 
pretty underrated. They're good, man. Yeah, I agree. Well, we keep referencing the tribunal, and we should obviously talk about this. This arc in the last two episodes is great, as you said, and really powerful, particularly Lee's diatribe at the end of it, which I think really restructures the entire show and reminds you about the non-binary, but in fact, deeply gray morality that everyone is operating under. And I loved it. And I forgot about it in the moment to moment. I know that Baltar gets off. I remembered that Adama is the deciding vote that gets him off and that that you know, wedges a little bit between he and the president. But Lee says, we are not a civilization anymore. We're a gang. And I really, that really resonated with me because it's true. Like we're not a civilization anymore. We're pretending we have our flags and we have our fucking stenographer. I thought that was kind of weird. Like, right. And they're trying to judge all of these things. Like, but, but president Rosalind issued a blanket pardon. Ty murdered many people. Uh, Lee Adama blew up a ship and killed a thousand people and all of these kinds of things. And even though we're engineered to hate Baltar, great character, great acting, but a really loathsome character, especially after he gets off and just goes right back to the way. he Oh, was, dude, it's amazing. Which is awesome. I really loved it. But we're taught to hate him and want the worst for him, but you can't circumnavigate the logic that Lee places on the situation and that two people still vote, by the way, to want to execute him after that, I thought was a, again, a real sign of fascistic society, which I think is again, central to the themes, the governmental themes of the show. So there's a lot to say about this scene or this, this, uh, this ordeal, including Lampkin, who's a really cool character. The oh, lawyer. I love him. I love him. I love when he leaves and he's talking about how Lee is honest and he leaves the cane and just walks away or whatever. It's a fucking great, great scene. Very, very subtle stuff like that. Talk to me a little bit about what your thoughts are on this. I really, I don't know how they would reintroduce Lampkin going forward, but I really hope that's not the end of that character. I love them. I really loved the performance. I love the character. I love the fact that he was like a protege of Grandpa Adama, you know, famous defense lawyer and he was kind of like his underling and that he learned from the Adam is like I love the whole way they tied that in is so so wonderful and you're wondering you know it's building up to this trial you know don't forget Gaius Baltar betrayed the humans to the Cylons you know he really get, and everybody knows it but they're still giving him this fair shake you know they're still giving him this fair trial and you're wondering how it's going to go because you know everybody including those judges up there Adama and the other captains have their internal biases. So you're really wondering how it's going to go. Lee is trying his hand at law. You got that whole angle. And Gaius is just the consummate bastard throughout the whole thing. And I love the fact that he gets off. There's a huge reveal, as you said, that Adama, Admiral Adama was the, you know, the winning vote. He reveals that to Laura. And the irony, dude, of like, the victory, this the apparent victory or the way he sees it, the way Gaius fancies it as a victory, but then realizing, oh shit, like what am I gonna do? Where am I gonna live? How am I gonna exist? You know, I wish that it happened a little earlier in the season, only so you could see 
the way it would be for him before he's rescued by that shadowy faction, the woman with the picture of the sick kid or whatever. And he's whisked away for apparent, you know, seeming protection. I wish that we got to see a little bit more of him being integrated, you know, seeing how deadly it would be. Like it would only be a matter of time, you know? So it's, it's, it's justified that he got, he's getting whisked away by people that want to protect him, but it would have been nice to see how it would have been for him for a spell first, at least as a cathartic thing for us. Cause he's such a shit. Yeah. The character is such a shit. It totally is. And you get, it's funny because they, they do kind of relief, relieve that pressure quickly. And they do. Because we see with that rogue six, I think it's in season two with the nuclear warhead or whatever that she's like kind of stowed away on the, on a ship. So it's interesting that like people can, disappear into the fleet and yeah. we know that which i i find fascinating in that's itself, fascinating which is so cool and this flotilla basically of ships it's not like they're just coming and going they're together and yet there are stowaways and illegal things and all that and we get a little and bit of cylons that. <laughs> right and cylons now we know <laughs> as well it's really really interesting stuff but i love lee's speech at the end about forgiveness and vengeance and he especially gets into the theme of shame and i love that he he says what I think is true, although it's difficult, which is that like we are as a people taking all of our shame and all of the sin that we have perpetrated during the Cylon occupation and all of the rest. And we're just putting it on this dude that we don't like. And we're going to shoot him out of an airlock and nothing is going to change. And it's uh, it's a difficult thing to hear. I think it's a little more straightforward than that, personally, but. There's no denying that Lee makes the argument that if you think that this man is guilty for collaboration and all that, then there's just no way that these other people aren't. And it's a difficult but good point. Awesome. You can even argue that that the collaboration of Baltar with the Cylons is not even the worst thing that happened in that ordeal as far as deaths are concerned. Lee makes the argument that it might have actually saved everyone's lives. He also makes the argument that Baltar saved Laura. Yes. Know, with, and didn't have to do that. It's a very, the tethers and tendrils that they connect are really difficult. And I especially hate, although I love, but I hate as a viewer, the destruction of, or the seeming destruction of Lee's relationship with his dad. Yes. And that's tough. Very sad. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah, that trial, very uncomfortable to watch because of that. You see, because of the pers- the personal feelings between the Admiral and his son, but also President Laura and, and, and Lee, you know, the love and affection that they share flying in the face of their politics and sort of their views on things and how those two things are coming into conflict and it's causing hard feelings and you're seeing it happen during the trial it's like really over, and you run, and it's over Gaius Baltar and you're like it's such a tragic thing to witness as a viewer you know you're seeing the dismantling of those relationships and the betrayals and the hurt as a result of the betrayal it's like oh my god it was really it's just really good drama man it's as good as drama any drama i've ever seen in a television series. It's really beautiful, beautifully done. And, you know, we were, didn't talk too much about that towards the beginning of this season, that whole judge, jury, executioner faction. I think they were calling themselves the circle mm-hmm. where they were taking it upon themselves to basically 
grill somebody. And then if they found them to be lying or wanting, they would shoot them out of the airlock. And, you know, Sam and I think Celix and Colonel Ty, like they were all part of that. You know, all these main characters are part of this thing that in their anger and in their vengeance and in their sort of um, lusting over some sort of uh, revenge were taking it upon themselves to do that. And then how that's echoed in the trial at the end, you know, as per, as you say, as per Lee's sort of uh, monologue at the end there was really, I mean, really strong stuff and really nice the way they tied that bow and connected things from the beginning of the series to the end. Really deft writing and not that many holes. You know, again, I, I would like to see more from Zarek. I like the fact that Madam President makes her the makes him the vice president. And he seems like he's on the up and up, and he's actually a good guy. And their whole friendships are in the form, and then they sort of just drop that. You know, yeah, they didn't. Yeah. But it's there was very few of those things. Very mm-hmm. few of those things that were overlooked. Which you know, again, well, all these characters. I would call that a success, <laughs> you know? That, no, definitely. I agree. What's interesting about Zarek, too, is that he's in a lot of the scenes. He's just not like he's in the background and all this. It's like he's like he's Dengar, up front. right? Yeah, it's like yeah. why? Like, yeah, you want to see more of him, especially because he seems to be taking a good turn. But you haven't seen the sure. last time, Zarek. I, I'm curious what you think happens next as we wrap up this episode. What are you feeling is like, what do you think happens? Do you have any idea? You know, the one thing. That I'm really, I, I love the character of Lee. I think I kind of fell in love with him last season, as I was saying in that episode. And I'm wondering, one thing I'm really wondering is what he, you know, you see him kind of pulled in both directions. They're kind of rallying to the the hangar bay to get to the Vipers at the end there. And he's sort of like in his suit, but wanting to go run with them to the to the Vipers and stuff. So I'm, I, I want to see where Lee goes as a, as a character and what he ends up doing. And how his relationship with his dad and Laura progress, because I love those three characters so much. And of course, the whole thing with um, with Starbuck, like I, I really have a lot of questions about that. Like, how are they going to how are they going to say that she survived? We saw her crash in a fiery wreck. Right. And Lee was like, it was just fragments of the ship everywhere. She's dead. Like, there's no hope type of thing. How are they going to explain this without being cheesy, right? We, we, she's a main character, so our minds automatically go to her. And then how are things going to... One thing that I realized, Kyle, I don't know if you realized this. I'm sure you saw it. There's that great CG pullout at the end. We see the two Vipers. We see Lee and Starbucks Viper pull out. We see the Galactica pull out. We see four of the Cylon base ships following them. Now... Last we heard, they thought they weren't being followed. So they pull out, we see the Cylon ships following them, and then we pull out to Earth. So there was a reveal. The Cylons are back on their ass at the end. They don't say anything. It's in the last seconds of the season, but it's there. So that's interesting that the Cylons haven't gone away. And knowing that there's only going to be one more season, right? It's like, I don't know. how they. And how many episodes are in the last season? 20. Okay, so it's a, it's a long run. Yeah, so we're about a, we're, we have about a third of the way to go, I would say, something like that. Yeah, that's, and that's a lot. You could do a lot in that amount of time. We saw that with season three. They did a lot. So I don't know. I don't even know how to predict. And also, you're not only the, uh, with Madam President's cancer, how is that going to justify itself? Is she going to go in for another shot? Is she going to actually pass? But how are these four Cylons, very important to the humans, very important to the cause, 
How are they going to integrate themselves? How is that going to play out? How are their relationships going to be with the Cylons that we know exist? Are we going to see them interfacing? You know, the existing Cylons, six, uh, number one, number two, all those guys. Are they going to be interfacing now with our Cylons? How is that going to go? You know, there's a lot. They're, they do a good job with the cliffhangers. I, I will say that. There's plenty of tension going in. Indeed. I got to say, is season four on our docket before January? Uh, I'm or looking no? at it now. The one you sent, it's not, but we can we can accelerate it and put it on the Yeah, we can always put leisure. it in there. Yeah, whatever you but want. But I, I don't even want it. It's at the point now where it's like, it's going to be pain. Oh, we're doing Razor, though. We are doing Razor. Yeah, we'll do Razor. Year. And uh, yeah, and then we'll we'll get to. Yeah, I don't know. We, if can, I can, we can rewrite this. We, we don't have to wait. We can keep going. I'm, yeah, I'm maybe keep that. going. I, you know me. There's going to be that threat of spoiling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just, haven't yet. I haven't. Well, well, I'm looking at the schedule now. I'll rewrite this, like what your suggestions are, and we'll see what we can do to get it in here. Yeah, maybe we'll get it in. Might yeah. as well, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. That was fun, dude. That was we'll, really a- We'll get it in. A, a oh! Yeah, I'm glad you had fun, man. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. It was, a night, it was a wild ride. You know, at yeah. first I was, again, I was rooting for like, all right, if this is bad, that's going to be a unique conversation for knockback, D- Dagan being negative about something, and then it'll be kind of, and Colin being up on something, and then we'll have that conflict, and it might be fun for a change, but I liked it. I also wonder, like, what was the needle drop rights for the Jimi Hendrix song for All Along the Watchtower? One of the great rock songs of all time. Yeah, I agree. I'm glad they used it. Did it take you out of the story a little bit? like? All right, you have this classic piece of music from decades ago in real life. Like, did, did it integrate itself for you, or did, were you like, oh, I don't know? That's a yeah, weird it was choice. fine. It was fine. There's something else actually that bothers me even more in the season that I think you'll find funny. I think it was with that's similar to that, which is I think it was with Adama's wife was is smoking cigarettes, as I recall, in like okay. her scenes, and they are Marlboros. They're Marlboros. They they oh, zoom they it. zoom in on them like in the ashtray and it's just like m-a-r and then like you know and i'm like they're fucking marlboro cigarettes well they me. made it marlboro made it all the way to the future yeah exactly from the despite past despite all the no smoking stuff over the last two decades amazing yeah doc coddle doesn't care why would anyone else care on this that's it that's true they have silence they just inject themselves with silent but they'll be fun <laughs> shout out to that guy too oh he's, he's not in it a lot but the episode you know when he shows up i think you were saying it in an earlier episode he's just He's just good. Yeah, he's great. Super good. You buy it. He just seems like a real character. No, like totally. Chain he's, smoking he's great. doctor. Yeah, and he's always like, I got a, you know, I got another patient. <laughs> <laughs> With maybe not the best bedside manner, but no, definitely yeah. not. But that's what makes him so funny. Yeah, he's uh, great. I think he's great, great too. I, and I like that they've kept like, even though they made him into kind of a like the character Kelly, they made him into a like he's in the very beginning of the show and like he just pops up every once in a while. On, like, yeah, on the yeah. Deck I like how there's like some continuity. It's not quite as as intricate as I would have liked it. I really like the idea of shows having like this, having the same extras and like people you met, maybe never meet, never see, never talk to, but they're just the same. And I feel like there are a lot of faces, which is cool, but it would be it would cool. It would be cool to see that meta level of continuity. That's a great point. Do they do that with like the press core in this? I never pay attention. Like the twenty people sitting in those press junkets with the president. Yeah, like, like some of them are the same. There's like the redhead and all okay. that. That's like always the same. But that that, that would be too. cool if they yeah. paid attention to that sort of detail. Yeah, I agree. You know, I agree. Yeah. Well, well Dig, that's uh, Battlestar Galactica season three. 
Super available fun, on man. Peacock. Yeah, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I'm really happy to hear that. And uh, it ended other... so strong that it mm. just makes you forget about all the inherent problems. If I if I watch it again, I'd be like probably lamenting like certain choices. Oh, that's getting a little bit. But what do you think about my point about the levity? There really is none. No, it's I mean very you dark. don't see that a lot. You know, even take a take a a series like. Well, I think Vince Gilligan is super good at this, but anyway, but like Breaking Bad, the gravity, right? Better Call Saul, The Wire, certainly Game of Thrones has this, The Sopranos, like they're very good. The showrunners are very good at incorporating comedy or moments of lightness into like murder and drug dealing and all these horrific things, accidents and all these horrific things happening. And I think this series got really carried away with itself in season three. Now it's awesome. It's it's brilliantly written. You have some really core, great ideas at the at the center of it, and the performances just carry it to the next level. So the performances may even rescue it. But what do you think of that? Like, could they incorporate a little more levity in there just to make it a little more, you know, but you you think about all these good cinematic works of art, they have that. And this doesn't, you know. I think you're right. Well, just in this, in saying that this situation would probably be very funny to be in because it is so hopeless and dark and death is around every corner Good point. that how can you not laugh in that situation? Yeah, right. I would imagine that it would probably be a pretty funny situation. And I'm not saying funny like you're fucking glad to be there. I'm saying it's not serious like right. in the moment to moment because you just don't know when you're gonna get blasted out of a fucking hole breach or something like that. And and that's the, the, the reality they live in. So I agree with you because, you know, you brought up Game of Thrones and there are scenes in that that I remember that are like awesome. Oh, they're scenes. so funny. There's a, that, that scene when the dude is trying to do like the Viking funeral with the, the, the arrow, the flaming arrow, and he like can't hit the ship. That's like a really great scene. And the guy just like fucking <laughs> takes the bow and arrow and shoots it and like hits the boat. So it's an good. awesome scene. That's good shit. And I remember you know? why. And what's funny is that it kind of it, 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 it imitates life in the sense that I remember seeing that scene for the first time and being like, oh, I would probably miss once. And then watching him like miss a few times was like really funny. Like life again, a life imitate limitates art kind of thing. Absolutely. So I agree that I think that. Now, maybe that humor is happening on the other ships where it's not they're not fighting go. for their lives on a fucking constant. There you system. go. That's and, you know, it's a tone. They decided on that tone, you know, like Game of Thrones. I love that scene. You have Tyrion as a character. You have Robert Baratheon before he dies. Like they're comical. They could cross over into comical characters. Tyrion has a wise ass comment. It lightens the mood, you know, and you, then you have that emotional up and down experience, which I think is really important for fiction. I think you could just raise the bar for Battlestar Galactica even higher if they had that. But, you know, it's a, it's a tone and they decided on it. And, you know, I'm sure I'll be, uh, who knows, maybe season four will be different. I think this was the heaviest of the season so far where they were really, I was waiting, you know, for like, all right, when is there going to be like a little bit of levity? You know, even the boxing episode was heavy. I was like, Jesus, really? Yeah. Like, can we just like, you know, laugh for a minute or like, you know, get, I'm, I'm too nervous. You know, I would have never been able to handle Breaking Bad if there wasn't those moments of comedy, you know, which is usually something going awry, usually something Mr. Wright does wrong, Mr. White does wrong or something, you know? So I was just, that, that was on my mind with the season, but all in all, very enjoyable. What was the, was it the scene in El Camino? I think it was where Jesse and, and uh, Walter are in like a diner. 
and Jesse's like talking about this stuff, and Walter's like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Like he's just going, like, like he goes on and on or whatever. Because <laughs> you're waiting. Yeah. <laughs> I remember talking about that with you specifically during Breaking Bad, like during our episode, like you're waiting for Walter to weigh in as a father, and Jesse's kind of spilling it. You know, he wears his heart on his sheet on his sleeve. He's trying. He's spilling his guts out, and you're waiting for a fatherly response, some sort of warmth, you know, in return. And Mr. White's just like the fuck are you even talking about right now? It's the type of thing. And it's like, that's what made it. And again, that's kind of, it's heartbreaking, but it's funny. You know, it's a certain style of humor and it's also in step. It keeps in step with the, the way the characters are very consistent. The characters are very well realized on the page and in the performances. So yeah, that's up, but you know, you can't, you can't be perfect. This is, it ended on such a strong note, even the extras in episode 19 in the courtroom and stuff, like the way they're reacting in the background the way Adam is reacting when they find out the colonel's drunk on the stand, like he's not even in the shot. He's barely in the shot. He's in like a racked focus and you still see Adama's subtle but obvious response. Like it's so good, man. It's like everybody is so dedicated to their, to their role in this thing. And I've seen them talk on panels. Like they were really passionate about this thing. You know, they knew they had something good and they collectively made it this great series, you know? Good stuff. I'm glad you feel this way. Yeah, we have, we still have, well, we have to watch Razor, then season four, and then the plan. Yes, the there's prequel. one more. I, I thought the, there was something after that. Yeah, the plan is so like the, the stuff from the Cylon perspective. You see like the attack from their perspective. Oh, that's cool. So like that, that goes like back. Yeah, the movies are like interstitials that go back, which is which is cool. I like the Cylon POV. I'm looking forward to more of that in season four. I hope we get get more of that because it gives you a little more and just because it's complex, it's confusing. So the more we see things from behind their behind their lines, the dude, more... I can't wait for you to see the Cylons and Razor. Like, I can't wait for you to, to for you to see them in that. It's yeah, gonna Razor's awesome. going to be. You cool. see them more than in that than any other thing you've seen so far. So. And you know what, dude? I, I know we got to end this thing, but the yeah. Pegasus being destroyed in this season was also very cool because it returns them back to. Square one, you know, right. that that uh, moment of initial hardship where it's like, no, it's one battleship. So that was cool that they did that. I mean, it's heartbreaking because you, you're kind of rooting for them. It'd be better to have two, but it's kind yeah, of they, neat they, that they return them to that. Cool. And also it brings up, and again, you said it wrapped it up, but I, I've been thinking a lot too about like Cylon supply constraints. Like, why are they so supply constrained? They're a machine race. They should if like just make 50 battle stars and just jump them all in. At the same time, unleash all of your raiders. Right. At the same time, just obliterate these motherfuckers. Yeah, that's interesting. It's it's there is a constraint to their power, to their ability to manufacture, to manufacture their bodies, to create the centurions and the raiders. And we get more in season four as far as like much more into their social order. I can't wait for you to see that. Oh, that's cool. That's that, that's good to know that. Like where you really know, like you understand more about the centurions themselves and all okay. of this. It's cool. Um, oh, that's cool. They're all yeah, because we don't see a lot of them this this season. No, not a lot. No, and like we never we never stick on them as far as like things that make decisions. That right, like it's cool. Um, so and so you'll see more of the hybrids and more of the Cylon ecosystem, I guess. And and it is exciting because it's That's finally cool. does start answering. Although, well, well, we'll wait for we'll wait for the conversation. No, I'm not even going to say anything else. Dig. That'll be fun. Let's end this episode as we do each episode with a dad joke. Okay, my friend, listen. I had this dad joke. I couldn't resist. I suspect I might have done it before, so I have a backup. But once I tell you the first dad joke, tell me if you remember this or not. 
Because I don't, I never know if it's something I look over in a list that I never use, or somebody sends me. I get a lot of dad jokes DMs, which I got to return to that. I got to use your guys' dad jokes again. I've been, yeah, I've been doing these on my own, but it's fun using yours. And yeah, let me know if you remember this. I'm not sure, or if I actually used it. Kyle, R.I.P. Boiling water, you will be missed. <laughs> That's good shit. That's a good I one. I like that one. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. But I may have I may have done that one. I may have done that. So I'll give you one that's maybe one of the worst ones I've ever done. So a proper follow-up. Please. Kyle, why do pancakes always win at baseball? You may even get this one. I don't know. I don't know. Because they have the best batters. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. I should have gotten that one. That's a frustrating yeah, one. Yeah, th- that was a, you know, I feel like that was a possibility, you know. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And uh, thank you for being it's here my today. my pleasure. Uh, I mean, we're so pleased. By the way, we got a lot of great, I should have said this at the top, but we've gotten a lot of great feedback for you because people are, were so pleased that, you know, that you were stressed out and having kind of a, you know, an uncertain time. And so people were really glad that. With the employment thing? Yeah. So people were glad to hear you on the last episode. I should have said that at the top, but people were really glad at the, in the comments of the last episode that you seemed better. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad. But you know, again, I have to reiterate that was a that was a situation of my making. <laughs> you know, I left a long term job. Yeah, for it doesn't a very short term job. I understand that. It doesn't mean that it's not difficult, and it doesn't mean that you know you make your bed. But it's like, so what? You know, it's it, it, you still need support and all of that kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, and you you and I you mean, take risks. Great risks, for that. Yeah, risks don't risks risks don't always work out. But you take no. It. No, no, absolutely not. And I, so I wanted to go direct something, and it was fun to do a pilot. But yeah, not only Kyle, of course, he's my brother, and he's a good brother, good little brother. He's always there for me. But yeah, the audience has been amazing with that, like genuinely concerned, like genuinely like right taking the time out of their busy days to write paragraphs on DM, you know, DM, which I love. I love reading. You Sliding know, into like- those DMs. <laughs> Super. I mean, what a. I mean, what a. What a crew. What a crowd you guys are. I appreciate you, except for you, PJ. I'm not. Not a fan. <laughs> well, fair enough. Dave, good to see you. Thank you for your time. Thank you all out there for your love, kindness, and support of all things Last Stand Media, Knockback, Sacred Symbols, Defining Duke. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on YouTube. You can leave us nice reviews on iTunes. You can support us, of course, on Patreon, Patreon.com/LastStandMedia for early ad-free access and the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas. And Topic ideas, we'll keep rolling those out as well. Uh, That's it. Until next time, goodbye. Knockback, a retro and nostalgia podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Central Virginia and the Philadelphia suburbs, USA. The show was conceived by and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Dagan Moriarty. Knockback's executive producer is Dustin Furman and the show is edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand Media's shows, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and we're grateful for your kindness and generosity. 
Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLDFMA, Jorge Palomino, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Tom Quinn, Sorta Serious Gaming, Unofficial Controller Podcast, Colin Farley, Zia Parix, Henry Groth, Joshua, Relentless Rex, Troy Miller, Meyer Katz, Jordan Mittman, J.A. Zhu, Tristan Palacios, Drew Mullen, Graham Plays, Christian R., Jad Rita, Kurt M. Gillenberg, Patrick Skipper, Sweaty Mitt, Chris Kelly, Dustin Graff, Peyton Stone, Roberto, Nick R., Josh Hallen Rui, Tyler Watkins, Troy True, Dan Root, Talisman, Christopher, Randall Halsey, Bobby Nauman, Nuke Dukum, Jim Bob, 56, William Holbert, Dr. Stump, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Daniel Johnson, H. Trons, Jordan Peterson's Fat Hog, Ethan Davies, Jay Getter, Manuel Ochoa, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Galja of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Gavin Newland, Saul Balcazar, Brian White, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Alex Bolton, Matt Martin, Kinnams, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Caswell, Anti Kinnanen, Chris, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Mason Cadillac, Ali Fritz, Zach Allum, George Anthony Nunez, Kyle Hagel, Christopher, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, Stewie 108, Patrick Montgomery, D.B. Cooper, Cody Bradbury, Tom Cargill, Richter 86, Steve Hodge, Holfeldian, Ian Bravo, Barrett Boswell, Andrew Parker, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Kevin Komaki, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Jonathan Coach, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Brian Chan, Organic Produce, Shane St. Pierre, Carlos Algorit, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Eric Finkenbeiner, Lou and Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Anton K, Brian W. Rath, Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bellow, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zaniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, James Kitzel III, Will Caldwell, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, William O'Carroll, Jesper Jansen, Max Cannon, Phil Crone, Throw Seven, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Petro Rose, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Joey Gondalaker, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, David Iacol- Lucci, Paul Joyce, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Shane Rayum, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Carson Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Harper, Mad Mock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming.